0: But it seems that the crops growing in the soil that is fed with these materials and the crops are getting their nutrients in this fashion is actually a healthier food. At first, it was a mystery why this was so, but now it's actually being understood more Uh, And more by scientists why the plant needs actually more than just those 16 nutrients, that it's getting more from the interaction of the plants with the bacteria. Um, The bacteria living around the plants are actually being fed by exudates coming off the plant roots, and those bacteria are doing better and the plants are doing better because the bacteria are releasing things into the soil that the plants need. It's much more of a symbiotic relationship than we thought it was back in the 60s and 70s when I was in college.
1: Welcome to The Real Organic Podcast. I'm Lindley Dixon, co-director of The Real Organic Project. We are a grassroots, farmer-led movement with an add-on organic food label to distinguish soil-grown crops and pasture-raised livestock under the organic seal. You just heard from Eric Seideman. He's a farmer, plant ecologist, and a policy expert who served as a long-time technical support agent with the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, also known as MOFCA. Eric was also on a USDA task force researching whether or not hydroponics could be considered as certified organic along with my co-director, Dave Chapman. Now let's dive into their conversation.
2: I am am talking with Eric Seidman today, an old friend of mine. And um, I shared time with Eric working on the um, hydroponic task force for the USDA um, as we tried to sort out those issues. And we got to do a lot of work together, and I've greatly valued our friendship. So Eric, hello. Hi, Dave. Good to see you. It's good to see you too. Thank you for doing this. I know that this is a little bit like pulling teeth for you. (laughs) Yes, it is. So Eric, you have a, a very long history with the organic movement and organic farming. Could you just go back and tell me how that got started for you?
0: Uh, sure. Um, it is a long history, and I recently retired, so it is completely history now. Um, I started working for the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, MOFCA, in 1986. Uh, a job at Bates College, I was doing sabbatical replacement there, ended. And this job came up with the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Um, and my undergraduate degree was in agriculture from Cornell. And so the job seemed quite perfect. At Bates College, I was teaching plant ecology and organic agriculture seemed like a good combination of a general ag degree and plant ecology. And so I applied for the job and um, they were happy to have me. Um, They took me around to meet all of the farmers who were there in 1986. At that time, they were certifying 14 farms as organic in their organic certification program, and we got along very well. And that was the beginning of the career where they called me the first organic extension agent. And basically that was what my job was, was to um, give a scientific basis to organic farming and help farmers and gardeners um, farm better.
2: So, back in those days, I've talked with uh, Stuart Hill and Bill Liebhart, who were also early academics who crossed over and uh, started to come to organic conferences and talk with organic farmers. And they both said it was a, it was a fairly uh, radical thing to do back then for them, and to some degree they, they actually faced being shunned by their academic peers. Was it a radical decision for you, or was it easy? It
0: was, and uh, it was different from place to place. I knew both uh, Stuart and uh, Bill at that time, and we certainly interacted, and um, I think they may have had it harder than I did. Uh, New York State was particularly hard, but where they were was hard, too. Um, I was lucky in Maine. Um, Even at that time, There was a connection between MAFCA and the University of Maine, and there was actually a crossover of people. There were, MAFCA actually was started in the 70s, and one of the founding members was an extension agent from the University of Maine. And then a decade later, when I joined, uh, we worked with a number of different faculty members at the University of Maine. and they would do research in organic farming and help us anytime we had questions i interacted with them quite frequently so it was um, it was actually it was easier for me to be in maine than probably anywhere other yeah. any other place for me to work
2: yeah bill said he really actually faced shunning uh, back at i think it was university of maryland maybe that he was at so what 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 did the organic world look like to you then? Oh, at that time, um, I I think
0: I'd like to go back even further to think of who those people were that I was working with. Um, I came in sort of the tail end of the, the back to the land movement. And so the farmers and the gardeners and homesteaders that I were working with were people who moved to New England to become farmers. And uh, the these people were uh, started out growing food for themselves and realized they were growing a little too much, and they started to sell some. And then they realized that they could sell even more, and they had small farm stands. Some of them were selling to small stores and farmer's markets. And so these were folks who started out growing for themselves, who got bigger because it was easy to get bigger.
2: Yeah. So, uh, when when they started as organic farmers, I'm assuming that this was based on a belief system as opposed to a marvelous economic opportunity.
0: That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: they definitely
0: started from a, 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 a almost a religion. It was a philosophical way of approaching growing their food and treating the land. And so, Um, they were mostly well-educated. They knew the history of organic farming. They knew why they were not farming conventionally, all the harm that it does to the environment um, and the healthfulness of the food. They knew that organic farming was founded in this idea of growing food that was going to be good for them
2: and uh, their neighbors to eat. So... You and I have been through some, some perilous national conversations about what happens next, about what is organic becoming, about, I think, the, the journey from organic farming as a movement to organic farming as a brand, as an economic brand. And I'm curious, do you think that those things that you were a part of that that brought you and so many people to organic are they lost are they still there oh i worry
0: about them being lost i don't think they're lost i think they're buried there's uh everything uh from the commercial standpoint the large-scale marketing of organic farming has gotten so big uh, that it essentially buried the the people who were farming because of beliefs and Customers outweighed the farmers, and customers developed their own picture of what organic was. So the farmers way back in the 70s and 80s were following guidelines that uh, were in all sorts of the original publications on organic farming, and um, Howard and Rodale and those people were writing about organic farming back in the 70s and those back to the Landers that I mentioned followed these farmers and uh, philosophers almost. And they were growing according to those standards. Um That changed. Uh, organic farming became very popular and as more and more people started to buy organic food and many more people were buying organic food than growing it. Um, what organic meant started to change a little bit. Um, in this eighties, it didn't change with the farmers. They were still growing to their philosophical beliefs, but the consumers were buying it not because of what good it was doing for the soil or the farm or how well it was protecting the environment. They were buying it primarily because they thought it was healthier. Um, And then they thought it was free of pesticides and free of other kinds of chemicals. And so that became the primary driving force. Rather than how it was grown, what was in the product became the driving force. Um, and that's really different. Um, Even when, we haven't gotten there yet, and I'm sure we will, but when the organic standards were first written, they were written as the practices that were taking place on the farm in growing the food. And the consumer doesn't know this. The consumer looks at organic as the final product. Um, And I I don't know if you want me to go to what the USDA did, but I could at some point.
2: Yeah. Well, I think we will for sure. but, But I have a few questions about it first. I mean, it doesn't seem to me like a bad thing. Of course, as a consumer, I also want to make sure that the food doesn't have poison on it. And, uh, you know, that is, I think, a very easy uh, thing to ask for. And it's asking for the things that aren't on the food. It's asking that it doesn't have toxins on it. It's asking that bad things didn't happen. And I think the problem with that is it loses the very good things that should have happened in that process that should be in the food. If you're only looking at what it doesn't have, it's, it's defining it by its absence. But I don't think that the founders ever imagined that organic agriculture was just about a lack of pesticides. That was the outcome. Would you agree with yes. that? Yes, no, I, I agree 100% with
0: you. The organic founders, didn't write their standards based on things that were prohibited. And so the final product wasn't so much that based on what wasn't on the food, but it was based on the practices that were required. When organic standards were first written, um, they weren't very extensive, but they had a, a lot of practices in them that were required. What made something organic wasn't so much what was prohibited in the farming practices, but was what what was required
2: in those farming practices? And okay, so we'll come to that later. I bet. Well, well, so let's try and explain this to me like I'm a twelve year old, and okay. convince me why I should care about this, or as a uh, as a dad with a little kid, why I should care about this, or as a retired person, why should I care about these things? in your opinion.
0: Okay, well, let's do do that. So organic farming, organic farmers are not supposed to use synthetic chemical fertilizers. Well, that's a not allowed thing. What's very important in organic farming is actually what is required. If you go back to the original founding fathers and what they thought was very important to organic farming, fathers and mothers, that's right. And I always say that and skipped it here. Albert Sorry. and
2: Louise Howard. That's right.
0: Um, so what was very critical to the organic farming movement was what was what it was based on, what it was required when they finally wrote it into standards, and that was that you would feed the soil. Um, the basis of fertility is that plants need 16 different nutrients, many of them they get from the air or the water, but the key ones that really are the basis to fertility are nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And a chemical farmer can put these down as salts, chemical salts. An organic farmer was actually required when this became standards to use organic materials to provide these. And these organic materials like seed meals, animal manures, compost would decompose in the soil. And then when they were decomposed, they were in simple materials that the crops could absorb. And so it became known as manuring the soil, or Robert Rodale came up with the phrase of feeding the soil. And that feeding the soil, the decomposition of those things you fed the soil with, left the nutrients for the crops to remove from the soil. And so you were feeding the soil, instead of using chemical fertilizers that were feeding the plant directly. And the original fathers and mothers of organic farming felt that this made a big difference. Um, We go back to Sir Albert Howard and his wife. Uh, When they were working in India, they saw the farms surrounding the research station where they were working. And they thought that the crops looked better there and the livestock that were being fed some of those crops looked healthier. And so they felt something's happening in that soil. This idea of manuring the soil and feeding the soil was better for the crops, that they actually got somehow better nutrients and grew better. And that was the foundation of organic farming. It actually had nothing to do with pesticides. It had to do with providing the crops with their nutrients.
2: So when you say Feeding the soil that would imply that the soil is alive,
0: yes, no question about it. You're actually not feeding the pebbles and the sand particles. you're feeding the microorganisms and the macroorganisms in the soil. You're giving them the food that they need uh, seed meals uh, manures compost all of these have complex carbohydrates and fats and oils and sugars. And these are the food that the microbes need to grow and the earthworms need to grow and the insects need. And as they use those foods, their waste products are simpler. And eventually the uh, bacteria can decompose the proteins and the fat molecules, which are too complex for a plant to pick up. But as they're decomposed by the bacteria, the waste product from the bacteria are simple salts and uh, even simpler molecules that the plants can pick up in their roots. And that's how they get the nitrates and the phosphates and the potassium salts that they need to
2: grow. And do you believe, back to being a young person here, as you're explaining this to me, do you believe that this is a better system, that it works better? That what are the advantages for us as a people to farming in this way that some would say well that's not scientific or that's very inefficient you know there are a lot of there are a lot of attacks abuses heaped upon the organic movement what, what how would you respond to those
0: well, there are actually three benefits from it. The first one um, is that the soil is made better. So, and this goes back to those people I was talking about and the back to the land movement, they loved their farms and they wanted to take better care of their soil. And growing crops was important to them, obviously, because that was their food. But building their gardens and farms and making them better than when they came was the most important thing. And this is where the key comes from. When you're building reservoirs of nutrients in the soil, the way to do it is to manure the soil, to add organic matter to the soil that adds reservoirs of these nutrients that the crops need. In addition, by feeding the soil, by adding the organic matter to the soil, you're actually building what's called soil structure. It's the decomposition of the organic matter in the soil that releases these glues and cements that cement tiny particles of soil together into bigger particles that create air spaces. And so now you have a soil with a crumb-like structure with air spaces between the particles, the particles held together by organic matter, and the organic matter helps hold the water and the air spaces help hold the air, the oxygen, that the roots need. And that's kind of the key to making the soil better for growing plants. You don't need this to grow a plant. You can grow a plant in a test tube with just dissolved salts. And that's what hydroponic is. But it's not what the founding fathers and mothers and the -the back-to-the-land gardeners and homesteaders wanted. They wanted better soil. So the first benefit of organic farming is that you're making your soil better rather than eliminating it from the system and just growing a crop. And that was the slogan, basically the heart of what Rodale meant when he said, "Feed the soil, not the crop." So I can. And the s- other benefit is okay. by farming this way, there are lots of environmental benefits. Um, you are not creating fertilizers in factories that have environmental replications, repercussions and use lots of energy, and you're not adding soluble salts to the soil. So the factories producing the fertilizers. And then these soluble salts dumped in the soil can pollute the environment.
2: Okay. Okay. So that it's a much uh much more positive impact on, no on question the about it. On the water, on the air, on the energy use. And then
0: the third benefit is important too, and that's the one that we got started on: this idea that the food is healthier. Um It's still unclear, but it's becoming more and more clear in recent years why this is so, but it seems that the crops growing in the soil that is fed with these materials and the crops are getting their nutrients in this fashion is actually a healthier food. At first, it was a mystery why this was so, but now it's actually being understood more Uh, and more by scientists why the plant needs actually more than just those 16 nutrients, that it's getting more from the interaction of the plants with the bacteria. Um, The bacteria living around the plants are actually being fed by exudates coming off the plant roots, and those bacteria are doing better and the plants are doing better because the bacteria are releasing things into the soil that the plants need. It's much more of a symbiotic relationship than we thought it was back in the 60s and 70s when I was in college.
2: You know, I read in Mark Schatzker's book, The Dorito Effect, that uh, you know a plant might have 40,000 metabolites, um, mostly secondary plant metabolites. And I thought, well, that's a lot, and of course, we don't understand what most of those metabolites are doing Um, but they're doing something they're there for some reason for the plant a friend of mine who's a hydroponic producer said we tested all this david and we showed that nutritionally the hydroponic and the and the soil grown were equivalent and i said oh did you test all forty thousand metabolites he said no i said yeah i'm curious if you had tested them how you would have decided what the ratio should be, how much of this and how it affects how much of that. I said, it might be a little more complicated than your test indicated. He acknowledged that it was more complicated than his test indicated. And that's the problem when we take basically a child's chemistry set and say, we're going to understand this. And it's complicated. Our our understanding is very uh, incomplete at this point about what even optimal, even good nutrition might be. We have some ideas. But it, it is- Yes, I agree.
0: Not only was plant nutrition simplified back when I was in at Cornell learning it, but uh, human nutrition was simplified too. Yes. And so they, they missed the whole boat, both from what the plants need and what humans need. And it's these metabolites and many of these are coming from what the bacteria are doing in the soil. And so the well-fed soil helps the plant create these metabolites because it's getting things beyond those 16 basic nutrients that show up.
2: Yeah, I'd like to go to the some of the, you know, USDA politics in a minute. But one thing that was interesting to me was uh, I was once having a conversation with a board member of CCOF, the California Certified Organic Farmers, which is the biggest certifier of organic in the world i guess yeah and um but you know, not ca- the oldest not the oldest i know Mafka's is the oldest but ccf's been around for <laughs> I a had long to make time a plug for
0: Mafka. <laughs> that's
2: right that's right and they've both been around for a long time Mafka started just a little bit earlier and um he was a young guy and you know we had a nice conversation and We were talking about hydroponic production, and he said, uh, at the end, he said, you know, I envy you because it sounds like the organic farmers in New England um, still uh, believe in this. They still have a belief system around organic. It still has idealism. He said, out here, it's really become a business. And, you know, that was actually... uh, a revelation for me when he said that because I, I, I just live in Vermont. I farm, you know, I have a very local community and it's a big world out there. And California is a huge player in, in, you know, organic production. It's the biggest consumer of organic. It's also the biggest national producer. And it made me realize that we live in these little pockets and I know that Maine and Vermont still do have a lot of idealism about organic, and a lot of people get certified not because they need it for the marketplace, but because they believe in it, and it's it's a way of building a movement, an alliance amongst farmers. Um, so you have been very involved in the National Organic Movement. You spent five long years on the National Organic Standards Board, which is the citizen advisory board to the USDA to try and advise them what organic means when they get confused could you that what what years was that do you remember
0: uh, yes i sure do i was on the national organic standards board from 1997 to 2002 okay everybody who's appointed to the board gets an, a a 5 year term that they serve um, and, uh, everybody on the board is actually filling a particular slot. I was the, st- the scientist on the board.
2: Yeah, that's great. And so for our conversation, I'm just going to call it the NOSB which stands for okay. National Organic Standards yeah. Board. This is so hard for some anybody who's a civilian, and they go, wait a minute, these initials are driving me crazy. So you served on the so NOSB. The, the
0: alphabet soup, uh, there's an alphabet soup of acronyms. That's right. And people get lost in it. But the NOSB is one that consumers should definitely know about, That's as right. well as farmers.
2: Because it's meant to represent them. You know, there are, there are consumer exactly representatives right. on it. There are farmer representatives scientific representatives and of course industry representatives and uh i'm curious so there are 15 members of it and they rotate off after five years and they have they work very hard you don't get paid as as one member said to me i gotta they doubled my my wages this year two times zero is still zero And, uh, Calvin said that. That's true. So,
0: yes, you. And it's a lot of work. A lot of work. I was actually very lucky because when I was working for uh, MAFCA as the staff scientist for MAFCA, and they allowed me to do my NOSB obligations during my work time. So, and we were involved actually before the NOSB. It's worth mentioning. That I actually started to work when this rule was being worked on in Senator Leahy's office. Um, we, MAFCA was helping in writing the, the law that became OFPA that instructed the USDA to create a national organic program and the advisory board, the NOSB. So you were working, so, was that
2: with Kathleen Merrigan? Was she running that effort? Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, yes, Kathleen Merrigan was in Leahy's office at
2: that time. Yeah, yeah. And she went on to become Deputy Secretary of Agriculture and probably had and Hillary And she was still there when I was yeah. on the NOSB.
0: Yeah, she was. Actually, when I got on the NOSB, another thing worth mentioning is I think I was on the NOSB at one of the best times to be there. Um if you remember, the there were a number of provo- proposed rules and the first proposed rule was terrible and everyone recognized this. And at the time, it received the most negative comments of any proposed rule in the government. Um, and I was on the NOSB when the N- the National Organic Program received all these comments and they had to go from a proposed rule to a rewrite. And we, at that time, when I was on the NOSB, were advising
2: them on rewriting the rule. Great, great. So what, what, what was it like then? I mean, I, I, you know, my entire experience of the NOSB was uh, really from 2014 to, to 2018. And um, I just farmed before then. I honestly didn't know what the NOSB was and uh (laughs) i i really didn't and i didn't i couldn't tell the ota from the oca and all these initials and the noc and the nop i didn't know i didn't know and i got involved because i saw that hydroponic uh, vegetables were being certified as organic i'd been involved enough to know in 2010 and i'd submitted testimony saying please don't do this it it should not be called organic and and that NOSB agreed with me, and they made a uh, a recommendation to the USDA that that hydroponics should not be certified as organic. And so, some four years later, I started to see hydroponics a lot of hydroponics stuff, showing up in the marketplace. And I said, "What happened?" And and I started talking to Miles McAvoy and and many people, and we started doing petitions. And I started going to NOSB meetings, which was Actually intimidating to me, um, to go to this big room. And they, they actually at that point had it roped off because they're afraid of people occupying the space. So you go (laughs) up to a podium and there'd be a rope and, and, uh, it was intimidating. So, and the, I will say that the group that I was testifying to, you get three minutes to testify. It's not long. And, um, sometimes they ask you questions and you get to talk a little more. But, but so you might go a long way in order to speak for three minutes and uh, it was a mixed group. I would, have, I would have to say it was fairly what I would call industry friendly. What was it like when you were on the NOSB? Did you feel that you were dealing with a group of people who understood what organic meant? Did they share your values? <laughs>
0: Yes, I I did at that time. I was lucky. I was on a very good board. Um, the 15 people change and the balance of the industry friendly and the farmer friendly and the environmental friendly, that all shifts back and forth a little bit with who's on there and actually who's more forceful. Um, that's definitely a consideration. Um the farmers, and when I was on the board, were actually quite quiet. Um, but the other people on the board at the time, I was from the organic community, not farmers, but advisors and academics and environmentalists. Um, they were all people that I knew before I was on the board. They really came from the right community. At that time, the USDA was doing a great job of choosing who would be on the board. Uh, Betsy Leiden was on the board from others and others. Joan Gussow was on the board from Columbia. Fred Kirscherman was on the board at that time. Um, and actually some of the farmers were the original organic par- farmers. Steve Pavich from California was one of the farmers on the board at those times. Um, um, Oh, and one name is escaping me, but he was the nutritionist from Cascadian Farms, one of the original sources of organic food. So we all knew organic very well. The USDA at that time did not know it well. And I think uh, they depended on us because we knew the history of organic and what farmers and consumers felt organic food was at that time. Um, and hydroponics actually was much earlier than 2010. We considered it in 2001. We were asked by the National Organic Program at the USDA to write greenhouse standards. And we wrote greenhouse standards. Um, and there was one person on the board at that time who wanted to include hydroponic. And we nearly unanimously, unanimously voted that Hydroponic did not fit organic and we did not include them in our greenhouse standards. Um, that omission said, was louder in my mind than all of the bands of hydroponic could ever be. We just said, this isn't part of organic. It doesn't get written into the standards. It's just not part of the guidelines of what organic farming is. And so if you go back to the 2001, NOSB recommendation of greenhouse standards, it doesn't even mention hydroponic.
2: So it got voted down in 2001, it got voted down in 2010, and in 2020, hydroponic sales probably exceed a billion dollars, and going up like a rocket. uh, You know, it's quickly uh, becoming the norm in tomatoes, blueberries, Greens very quickly uh, are, are shifting. Uh, I'm uh, peppers. I'm just curious. What happened? How did how did this uh, happen?
0: Well, I think everyone has an opinion. And my opinion, is that the influence of the organic industry became greater at the USDA, um, and the USDA was willing to say. They sort of looked at it backwards. You and I have been talking about this. Organic farming is not what's prohibited. It is what is required. It is all those practices on the farm that make it organic growing. It's not what's not allowed. But the USDA at this point in time, and probably a decade ago when Miles was there, missed that. And they said, no place in the rule is hydroponic prohibited. And so we will allow it. And so I think that was a real oversight on their part. They missed the boat that hydroponic wasn't described. Hydroponic is not part of organic farming. That didn't matter to them. They were looking at what was specifically prohibited in the rule. And nothing said, thou shall not farm hydroponically. And so they
2: started to allow it. The rule did say that you must Maintain and improve the fertility of the soil that's it you
0: and I look at what is required a good section of the rule Talks about managing the soil and it talks that you must manage the organic matter in the soil You essentially must feed the soil you must manage the tillage of the soil in a way that does not harm the environment the rule was written very well Um, And I always like to point out that I was pleasantly surprised. Back in the 80s and, and 90s when the rule was first being written, I was very nervous that the USDA was going to measure organic with a probe. Uh, they, you would stick something in a tomato and say, this is organic. It doesn't have chemical fertilizers or chemical pesticides. But they didn't do that. The USDA did a great job writing the rule. They wrote a practice-based standard. They essentially outlined all the practices that makes growing organic what it is. And so this section that you're referring to where they require managing the soil and taking care of the soil is a very important part. And to you and me and to most of the organic farmers in the country, this actually means hydroponic is not part of it because you can't manage soil if you don't have soil. And the rule requires managing the fertility and the structure of the soil.
2: Okay, so we have a situation where the USDA is redefining organic, it is being defined in a way that does not fit with the legal definition, and also in a way that does not fit with the common definition of the organic farmers, but it does fit with, uh, I, I hate to call it the organic industry, because I don't think it's organic. But let's say with an industry that has embraced the organic brand and um, and it has a tremendous amount of influence. So we were on this task force together. There were five members out of 15 who actually agreed with what you and I have just said. And the other 10 were hydroponic producers. It was, a, and indeed, when they, when they created the, the the task force. It was all going to be hydroponic producers, and there was an outcry, and they said, "Oh yeah, well, we'll get some soil people in here too," and and so <laughs> we were two of the five that they let in. So I'm curious. This all culminated in Jacksonville, Florida, and there was a big vote, and and basically, the NOSB they didn't they didn't come out with a new recommendation, but they failed to embrace and and clarify the 2010 recommendation. So it was a fairly huge shift in terms of how can this be that in 2010 overwhelmingly the board says hydroponic cannot be called organic and in 2017 it says well yes it can. So it was a big day. There was a lot of there were a lot of tears. Actually, I got people calling me from around the country who were crying that night because they felt that something important had been broken that day, that that those people had genuinely failed the organic community. We knew the USDA was failing, but we thought at least that these representatives who were not elected, they were selected by the Secretary of Agriculture, but up until then, they had been pretty good in what they were recommending. So that was a big, a big day of change, I think. And as I recall talking with you, there was a little sense of depression of this thing that I spent my life working on is going to continue but it's not going to be called organic. It's not going to be I don't want to put words into your mouth, but but it 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 felt to me like you were part of that dismay at at what happened no. in Jacksonville. Is that fair to say?
0: Oh, completely fair. It goes back when I first started working in Moffka One of my roles was to give lectures and I would go around the state of Maine, New England, really all around the country and explain what organic farming was. Um, Organic farming was new then. As I said, uh, at the time I was hired in 1986, we certified 14 farms in the state of Maine. Today in the state of Maine, we certify someplace between 500 and 600 farms. It's an entirely different thing. And at that time in the mid-80s, I would have to go around and explain what organic farming was. And I would start by saying that lots of people, and I would use my mother as an example, they would say, I would say, Mom, what do you think organic is? And she would say, oh, organic food has no pesticides on it. And that was part of my lecture. I would say, that's a very tiny part of it. It's not how organic farming began. It's not what the organic farmers think about. Organic farmers think about all the practices they're doing on their farm to make it a better farm and better soil than when they got it. And now, when that decision took place in 2010, I had to change my lecture. Because it is not about taking care of the soil. In in 2017. In 2017, when that decision was made, it was not anymore about taking care of the farm and taking care of the soil. Organic farming became based upon growing food that had no pesticides on it. Hydroponic has no soil. It doesn't even have a farm. It's really a food production facility where they can grow food that has no pesticide residue on it. Yes. And that's not organic farming in my mind. It is raising what a lot of people
2: think of as good food, but it is not organic food. Okay. I I feel the same way. And out of that meeting, uh, some farmers came out not with a sense of defeat, but I would say with a sense of renewed commitment to continuing the organic movement. And the USDA insists they own the word, although I don't believe they do that either. But but so, you know, uh, in Vermont, there were a meeting, there was a meeting of about 30 farmers the next month, maybe not even a month after that, at, at the NOFA offices. And those 30 farmers voted 100% to, create some kind of new label there was a disagreement about whether it should be a standalone or an add-on and ultimately after some months of discussion it became an add-on to the usda label and it is of course called the real organic project and you actually served and still serve you're about to go off on the uh, real organic standards board so this is your second second time on a on a standards board and this time instead <laughs> of the National Organic Standards Board it's the Real Organic Standards Board could you talk a little bit about Real Organic Project
0: Sure the the Real Organic Project um is really working with farmers it's uh it's helping those farmers who believe that the USDA took a misstep they wrote a very good rule the rule did a great job at defining what an organic is And then over decades, the USDA began to think about certifying things that don't even meet their own rule. Um, They are looking at what is not specifically prohibited. They're ignoring what is required. And so now we have food in the marketplace that is called organic. But there are many of us who believe it's not organic because it is not being grown with the practices that are the foundation of organic farming. So it was a a sad day, um, and the Real Organic Project tried to fix that. They tried to give a place for the farmers who believe that organic farming is still founded on what's required in the rule to uh, fall back on and have a label. There was a push to come up with a new word, not organic. Um, but that was rejected by a lot of people because um, a lot of people are making their living selling food that has the organic label. We worked for decades. Remember, the organic word started 40 or 50 years ago, and it is now recognized by the general population. I think more people know what organic means then don't know what it means now in the United States. And so we don't want to lose that word because it's very important to us farmers in selling our product. And so that's how the Real Organic Project decided to have become an add-on to organic farming as required by the USDA. We essentially are using the same rule that they are, except we're concentrating on what that rule requires. Um, and we are not allowing things that are uh, essentially being raised not meeting those requirements. And so I was happy to serve on the Standards Board and helped draft our real organic standards uh, using everything essentially that was in the USDA National Organic Program rule. We didn't ignore anything. We essentially just don't allow things that do ignore it. And so the Real Organic Project as an add-on is helping farmers who still support those foundational principles, the philosophy of growing organic, uh building your beautiful farm and taking care of the soil on that farm and having a new marketing tool trying to get consumers to understand that the nop label by itself isn't good enough anymore you need the real organic project label as
2: well you know i i have this belief that that um the real organic project is it absolutely is trying to uh, educate people it's trying to educate ourselves as a farmer I'm still trying to educate myself it's a a wonderful thing that you never know it it's it's always uh kind of an ongoing voyage of discovery but but it strikes me that uh it's also a big attempt at transparency I I do feel that Organic the the meaning of organic is is still in our bones It's sort of like that thing uh, where the Supreme Court Justice said you I know pornography when I see it I think we know organic when we see it and the problem is yes. is that in the marketplace We often don't see Where the food came from and what it's like and so it's not just about hydroponics for sure that that was one of the things that catapulted us into action but the whole livestock uh, journey where they've taken all the animals and confined them and they grow the food maybe three states away and bring it in and feed it to the animals and it's a biohazard, the the facility and the manure lagoons are a, a nightmare and they can never get that fertility, that cycle can't be completed of putting it back on the farmland uh, where the where the food for the cows are grown and they're feeding the cows mostly grain instead of mostly grass you know everything is going downwards if you if you took a milk carton and put a picture of the confinement facility on it and then you took another one and said you know here's a cow on pasture honest pictures which one do you want to buy
0: Yes, and the same with hydroponic. If you saw tanks of solutions of chemicals and pointed out this is the fertility for growing your tomatoes compared to a compost pile, which one's organic? Yes. I have those pictures if you need them, by the way. I've been to many hydroponic facilities, and I have 1,000-gallon tanks of various kinds of chemicals that they feed the tomatoes with. No, I you bring up a great point, Dave. Um, we're actually going back to where organic started. I, I give a lecture um where I talk about the back to the landers coming to the Maine and uh New Hampshire or Vermont and selling to their neighbors, and then they still had too much food in their gardens because they were growing so well. They started to sell to some stores in Boston, and now they've lost contact with their people who were buying their product. They, The people buying their product didn't know what organic meant at that time. Um, you weren't selling to your neighbor that saw the beautiful farm and what a good job you were doing taking care of it. You were selling at the Bread and Circus, which actually became Whole Foods after three or four other hands took it over. Um, but Bread and Circus sold to all these people who were just beginning to learn what organic was. And they were picturing beautiful, pristine farms up in Vermont. Um, they weren't pre- pre- uh, picturing hydroponic tanks of chemicals. Um, and I love that we- that's
2: what they were choosing to buy. I mean, you know, yes. we, we, it, it, we have to so celebrate that people are saying, I will pay more money for a farming that takes care of the land and it takes care of the farmers and the farm workers and that is growing food in a way that is appetizing to me. I will pay more for that. And that's a wonderful thing. We should never be cynical about that. We should applaud it and embrace it. But we should say, you know, we're not going to allow those people to be defrauded, which is, I think, what's happening now.
0: Yes, I agree. Um, I think we have to educate, just like we did in the 80s, had to educate people what organic farming was all about. And we've done a great job. It is now such a commonly used word. The real organic project had to educate What is being left out? Those, those large scale dairy farms you're talking about are really not doing any prohibited practices. What they're doing is they're not doing some of the things that are required in the law. And the USDA is allowing their certifiers to certifying them anyway because they're not doing anything specifically prohibited. They're just ignoring some of the things that are required and the real organic project has to point out that they're missing the boat. They're not uh, doing the required soil fertility management. They're not doing the required animal care. They're not requiring the animals to be out on pasture uh, for certain periods of time that are in the rule. And so it's really requirements they're missing rather than doing something prohibited they're not dumping any chemical fertilizers in they're not using prohibited antibiotics and the USDA is still looking at this lump of prohibited materials and if they if the farm is not doing something prohibited they think it's okay they're forgetting that the organic rule is about what's required and this is the the job for the real organic project now is to educate further The consumer has to be educated further about all of the requirements, not just the list of prohibited materials.
2: So, looking forward, here we are. Jacksonville, the National Organic Program crashed and burned. A great many pioneers threw up their hands. And and there seems to be a hope here. I'm curious, do you have any hope? Do you have any optimism that a real organic movement will grow out of this. I think so,
0: but I think it's going to start small again. It's going to start in states like Vermont and Maine and Colorado um, with the people who live in the hills and the small towns, and they're going to learn um, that somebody's skipping some things when they're farming organically, and they don't deserve that organic label. And the real organic project is what is going to guide them and uh, it's going to spread from the small towns to the bigger towns and the cities and uh, people will eventually learn.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I remember the first time that when we formed Vermont Organic Farmers, which was, you know, our, it's, it was a branch of NOFA, but it was a the first attempt to create a label in Vermont and standards. And I think there were 13 of us I can't really remember. I, I I was one of the founding members. I think it was about thirteen farms, and you know, right now, uh, Real Organic Project's got about five hundred farms. And I go, well, we're already hugely uh, greater number than we had then, and of course, it's national, and um, not to say that we should always confuse numbers with success. If if we do, then we would just have to say, well, Driscoll's is successful. And I, I don't, right. you know, they're financially successful, but there are other things, you know, that are very, very important. So we're planting seeds that we hope will grow. Um, but it, it is interesting to me that as a $50 billion industry in the marketplace, I think there are millions of people within that, that community of, of shoppers who want to buy the food that you and I want to grow. And, you know, so this is just a thing where it doesn't matter what you do. Some corporation will go and try and hog into the picture and the next thing you know, you're lying on the ground outside the picture. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that's just what they do. They see a market and they, they go in and instead of trying to say, well, that's wrong, they'll say, oh, that's right and I'm doing it too. So. And they know it's fraudulent
0: because many of these organizations or companies you're talking about, if you look at the pictures they put on their cartons of milk or containers of tomatoes, they're farmers out on a pretty pristine farm. It, It actually is not showing what's really happening. So deep down inside, even these large corporations know what consumers want. And it is fraudulent that they put a picture of a, a farmer and his wife and, the, and a cow on the carton. Yeah. And when you go out to their farm, it's actually 2,000 cows out in the desert.
2: A number of people have written to Driscoll's and asked them if they grow anything hydroponically. And they get a nice letter from a, a representative saying no. I've seen copies of those letters. Amazing. And the only thing you can say is they have a unique definition of the word hydroponic. Um, yes, because we, we know they're growing over a thousand acres. We learned that on the hydroponic task force that, and that, we've
0: seen good pictures of what uh, Driscoll's is really
2: doing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's right. That's a really good point that, that they understand what people want and they understand what they're doing isn't what people want. So they, they, they don't show those pictures. They show the other pictures. You know, okay. Well, all well, right. What's lucky
0: for us is that there's so many young farmers now. Yeah. Those 500 farms in Vermont or 500 farms in Maine are mostly people half our age. Yeah. And th- they know um, what organic farming is all about. They learned it from us and they're trying to spread the word. And, yeah. and I think they'll make it.
2: Yeah, and I've noticed they have much better business plans than we had. So yes, that's starting right. out. We with, were
0: not businessmen when no. we the back to the landers came up. We had no idea about business. No, um, that sort of came as a secondary. We wanted to have a beautiful farm and grow the right way. Um, and it grew from that. The young farmers now coming in are business minded um, and, and and know how to write a business plan I didn't know what a business plan was.
2: Yeah. Well, I think I, think I will thank you here, Eric. Um, I know that you're- Thank you, Dave. Mostly retired from Moffka, but I know that you're still farming and uh, growing some tomatoes and growing some, what else are you growing? We have a pick your own
0: strawberry business that is certified organic by MAFCA and we uh, grow tomatoes in the soil in a high tunnel. And we specialize in very early season tomatoes that we sell into a, a very nice uh, produce market in Southern Maine. Um, but we grow everything else. People ask us what we grow. We hardly don't grow. We grow everything, but we only grow for ourselves except for the tomatoes and strawberries.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, it's always a pleasure for me to talk with you. Uh, Thank you very much. I know you don't like to be pulled away from the fields to do this kind of thing. Well,
0: like I told you yesterday, this reminds me of work. I'm retired now. And it (laughs) it does bring back fond memories. We should point that out, that I actually had a wonderful job and I enjoyed it. And this does bring back fond memories of what I did
2: for work. Good. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you, Dave.
1: Thank you for listening to the Real Organic Podcast. We hope that you'll subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a rating and review. A video version of this interview, as well as the full transcript, with links related to our conversation, can be found at realorganicproject.org forward slash episode 43. To find a real organic farm near you, visit realorganicproject.org forward slash farms. See you next time.